welcome to a brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel Podcast with yours truly, Omar Moore, the Prince of Popcorn. This episode features Tom Cruise, who turns 60 this year, and four films that he has done over the years in his storied career that I think mark him as a really good actor, much, much better than many give him credit for. I'll come right back and start with Tom Cruise and the four films that I think show his excellence in acting and his career overall that continues on that I think shows you Tom Cruise as a much better actor than he's given credit for. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel Podcast. I'm Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. On this edition, Tom Cruise. He turns 60 this year. His acting performances, I think, have been vastly underrated during the course of his ongoing career. And I'm going to be playing you clips from four of his films that really, I think, show that he is a much better actor than given credit for. Of the balance of his career, which began in the late 1970s, Tom Cruise on the big screen has given some solid performances, I think very good ones, and he has endured to this very day with a very fine screen career, and I think he is a better actor than he's given credit for. Lots of people like Tom Cruise, lots of people don't like Tom Cruise, I think for reasons outside of film. I think that some people also do not rate Tom Cruise as an actor. Well, I think he's much better than many would give him credit for. And I think he's much better than a lot of the people who are acting now. Now, you may agree with that. You may not. I want to play for you, though, four films, at least clips from four films, that I think show you, or at least sound to you, that Tom Cruise's acting ability is much, much better and stronger than many would admit. Here is the first clip. I'm going to start with the film Rain Man from 1988 with Dustin Hoffman alongside Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise plays the younger brother of a man who has inherited three million dollars from their father who is deceased. And in this clip, you're going to be hearing Tom Cruise and Valeria Galino in a scene when they are driving out west. So this is the clip. Listen to this one. Tom Cruise plays Charlie Babbitt, the younger brother, and listen to Valeria Galino and Tom Cruise in this clip. I don't don't know why I put up with all this. You wanted to go to Palm Springs and we're going to Palm Springs. but I didn't want to go alone. I've been sitting in this car for more than an hour and a half. Let's talk. Let's talk. This is not talking. This is you going like... Yeah. Charlie, this is Lenny. I've been trying to contact you for a while. I got a call, a long-distance call from Mr. Mooney. You know, your father's lawyer. He's been trying to reach you. Your father has died, Charlie. Charlie? Uh Uh-huh. I'm sorry. The funeral's tomorrow in Cincinnati. He said you'd know where. I've got his number. That's not necessary. Anything else? Oh, that's it. Listen, Charlie, if there's anything I can do, just call. Sorry about the weekend, huh? Charlie, the weekend? 
Look, I told you before, we had a falling out a long time ago. My mother died when I was two. It was just him and me. We, you know, we just, we just didn't get along. You're going to the funeral, no? Yeah. I'm coming with you. That's really sweet, but it's, it's really no point, you know. I want to. That's about it. All right. Sorry, I forgot who I was talking. And Tom Cruise there in that scene with Valeria Galino from Rain Man, he plays someone who is very self-absorbed and self-centered and a ruthless salesman, a ruthless car salesman. And in that scene, there was no change at all in the demeanor and the sound of Tom Cruise as he is performing in that role as Charlie Babbitt. He's just got this news about his father in the film dying and all of a sudden there is no change in him at all. He has been arguing with Valeria Galino's character and when that phone call comes in it's as if for him it's just him being told that pizza is ready for him to pick up at the next exit ramp. I mean that is really what you're hearing um, from Tom Cruise's character's response there, Charlie's response is to just continue to move on as if nothing happened. And he's very dispassionate. Now he's responding to the news of of his father's passing and also giving you the information that, look, he and his father were never really an item at all, relationship-wise. But the way that Cruise plays that scene, it's so dispassionate. In a way, it's smoothly dispassionate. It really is. There is no hint of any difference. And it's not a performance in that moment that is just designed to be ice cold. It is smoothly dismissive without missing a beat. And I think that that kind of performance, that kind of acting there, that less is more approach. And if you watch that, you will see he has his Ray-Bans on, Ray-Ban glasses, his sunglasses, and there is no shift in him whatsoever. And he continues to go about his business, as you heard there in that scene. And I think that that, it's not that that's some extra special acting skill, but I think it shows that Tom Cruise is very concentrated in what he does on the screen. And that goes for a number of films, particularly the action films he does. And I'll get to a clip from one of those later on. At that moment in Rain Man, where he's been arguing with Valeria Galino's character, and then all of a sudden gets this news that would knock, I think, 99% of the human population for six, no matter what their relationship was with their father. For him, it's just business as usual. It's as if he just got a call about a car transaction that did not go through successfully, he'd be more upset at that uh, than he would be at the fact that he loses his father there on a road trip like that. And now he has to U-turn to Cincinnati. And he does that as if it's just another part of him transacting business at his car company. Now, there's another clip from Rain Man that I would like to go to now. And that is of a scene with Tom Cruise with Dustin Hoffman. This scene, I think, shows you something else about Cruise's performance here. He plays Charlie Babbitt in three or four different zones. First of all, as this, as I said before, self-centered, 
arrogant, selfish human being. And then we begin to see the changes in the crew's character. And this is an instant where one of those changes comes into effect. Listen, my father died. You know that he died last week? Did they tell you that? I don't know. You don't know if they told you or you don't know what dead is? That means he's he's gone. He's not with us anymore. He's at the cemetery. You want to you wanna go see him at the cemetery, Ray? I don't know. Does that mean maybe? Does that mean maybe you want to go? I don't know. You know, I live in Los Angeles. I thought maybe you go to Los Angeles like to see a Dodger game. Go, go see the... We'll see the Dodgers play. Today's an off day. Oh, we don't have to go today. Monday, no game schedule. Just thought maybe you'd like to go to Los Angeles with me, you know, go see Fernando Valenzuela pitch. Fernando Valenzuela pitch Saturday, not scheduled for pitch till Wednesday. He's going to pitch on Wednesday? Wednesday. Well, I'm not doing anything on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. Let's go to L.A. And in that clip, you hear the softening of the crew's character in really was one of the earlier interactions in Rain Man with the Dustin Hoffman character, who is his older brother in the story. Cruz's character starts out with this very closed-hearted, cold approach to life. This, I want to get anything I can and everything I can out of life for me and me alone. And this entitlement that is so clear and apparent to this Cruz character, he thinks that the world owes him something, I think, he is arrogant, he is ruthless, he is cold-hearted. And slowly and sh- but surely you begin to hear or at least sense and feel the opening of the heart of a cold, cruel, and selfish man. And that's the character that Tom Cruise plays when he plays Charlie Babbitt. And so in that interaction, what you are seeing or what you hear from Cruise is this slowing down time. He lives his life at 110 miles an hour as Charlie Babbitt. And slowly but surely in this encounter, one of the earliest encounters in the film with Raymond Babbitt, played by Hoffman, Charlie, the Tom Cruise character, begins to slow things down, not just for the sake of Raymond, but also for himself. And when you watch the scene that you just heard, you can see the performance, the acting from Cruz as he just registers a slight glance, a look, he's examining. You can see Tom Cruise examining Raymond as if he is a newfound toy, a newfound discovery, uh, someone that he, he doesn't want to drop because if he drops him, he'll break him. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. It's as if the Cruz character is reverting to his own childhood when he sees Raymond, the brother that he never really had or never knew about until after his father's death in Rain Man in that movie. So in that scene that you just heard, you see Cruz, he's examining, he's questioning. And I just like the way he does it in the film. There is no broad stroke. There is just a very calm approach. It's calm and clinical at the same time. And he's mixing the very forensic and direct aspect of his character as a car salesman, 
at a car plant business, along with this curiosity about this new person in his life who happens to be his brother. And I love the way that Cruz modulates that. It's a very smart performance. And that scene represents that. You have to watch that scene to really appreciate it, of course. But listening to it, there's something powerful about listening to that. And he's mixing that forensic approach of his car salesman business to his curiosity about Raymond and his wanting to somewhat protect him. I like that scene a great deal. When I return more of this episode of the Popcorn Reel podcast on Tom Cruise, a much better actor than he's given credit for. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel podcast. I'm Omar Moore the Prince of Popcorn. And thank you very much indeed for listening. This episode is about Tom Cruise and his acting ability. I think he's a vastly underrated actor. And I am playing clips on this episode for you to listen to and analyze just where I think Tom Cruise does some really good acting work. He has done so throughout his career and a lot of it is very subtle. And there are moments of theatricality as every actor experiences those. But I think for Tom Cruise, when he plays the characters he does, there isn't any artifice there. And there is a very smooth sense of control in what he's doing, particularly in a film like Rain Man, which I happen to think is his best performance ever on the big screen. Now, Tom Cruise's character does some very good things in this film toward the end of the movie. But... I think Tom Cruise, the actor, does some very good things throughout the movie. Here is one of them in a second scene that I am picking from the film that involves he and Dustin Hoffman. This is the third scene overall that I am picking. But this is the second scene with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise together that I have selected. Listen to this as Tom Cruise's character, Charlie Babbitt, is in a diner with Raymond, played by Dustin Hoffman. And listen to how Tom Cruise, as an actor, is honing in on an inquiry about Raymond. He's doing this in a very interesting way, subtle and effective. And I'll explain right after the clip. Keen wheels and a dozen roses. What, what, uh, what's the number? Five. Cheating heart, Hank Williams. Hair cheating heart cosette. Hank Williams Jr. Deep one. Deep one. Blue Moon of Kentucky, Bill Monroe. And a bluegrass voice, key five. How many toothpicks came out of that box, Raymond? 246. Yeah. 246. Are you paying attention? Yeah. Seeing that, 
two aces, one ten, one nine, one five. One five. You are beautiful, man. So that was the scene from Rain Man, the second one that I've selected with Cruz and Hoffman in it together. The third overall for this film. Tom Cruise in that scene, if you can listen to it, and I'm sure you have heard it very clearly there, for those of you who are listening to it, who are able to, that Cruise isn't entirely changing his focus for his character. Yes, his heart is opening gradually, but it's opening, at least in the scene you just heard there, only insofar as what Charlie Babbitt can use out of his brother Raymond for Charlie's own ends. He's telling him and asking him about the songs in the jukebox, which number is which, which number belongs to which song title. And you can see when you watch that particular scene you just heard, you can see Charlie Babbitt's eyes light up. And it's not necessarily... Charlie Babbitt and his eyes lighting up because he loves Raymond so much. He loves him in a very selfish way to get to the objective of what Charlie wants, which is money, money, money and more money. Remember, it's Raymond who inherited the $3 million. And so when you hear Cruz talking about how wonderful Raymond is, it's for a very selfish reason because he's telling him what, cards do I have left in this deck of cards? And he knows exactly where the next stop is. And of course, it's Las Vegas. And the way that Cruz plays that scene, there's a tenderness in Charlie's exploitation of Raymond. I know that sounds funny or or at least weird or crazy or whatever it sounds like. But there is a tenderness there. But it's a tenderness there only for the idea that Charlie is exploiting Raymond and the way that Cruz plays this is so smooth again. He does it very smoothly and very subtly. And the exploitation is still there, even though he probably does love and is probably beginning to love and care about Raymond. But even at this point, as his heart begins to open and soften, He loves him in a very selfish way to get a means towards an end, to get to the money that he wants, that Raymond has. It's quite a moment in the film where you see this. There's this softening, but there's still this exploitation of Raymond and Raymond's abilities as someone who is autistic to make Charlie the money that Charlie wants. It's a very deft performance there. And that's one of the reasons I think that Cruz is a much better actor than he's given credit for, because there's a lot of very good things going on in that performance. He's beginning to be in touch, not necessarily with himself, but in touch with the possibilities of what Raymond brings to his life. And the way that Tom Cruise plays that, I think, is, is quite clever and I think very good indeed. Here now is the final scene that I am going to share with you from Rain Man. And it's literally the last scene of the film. And I'm spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Rain Man by now, well, I don't know. It's been more than 
30 years since it, since it was first released. But here is the final scene of the film. And this is just a small portion of that scene. And this is where I think the crew's performance comes full circle. And that's the final moments, really, of Rain Man. I think that's the best scene in the film, the very end. Now, I didn't play you the very end, but the very end of that movie, I think, is actually the best moment of the film. It's a sad moment, obviously, because, as you know by now, uh, Raymond has left to go into the custody of Dr. Bruner. And, yes, he'll probably see the Charlie Babbitt character in a couple of weeks or so, but there is a void there in the life of Charlie Babbitt. And you do see that at the very, very end. But in the scene that you just heard right before that, you could hear for the first time in that film, and when you watch it, you will see for the first time, the Tom Cruise character actually listening to Raymond. I mean, listening to him, not talking over him, not talking a mile a minute, not dominating the space with his own voice, but he's really listening to Raymond's voice, I think, for the very first time in the film. And that's when Raymond is leaving him. Now, again, you can say that that's for selfish reasons, but I do think that Tom Cruise there is showing you through that character that he really does care about this man who is his long lost brother. He never even knew him, never knew that he had a brother. And I think for the first time, you see the impact of Raymond on Charlie Babbitt. And this film is really about the Charlie Babbitt character anyhow, and how that character transforms his own sense of feeling. He begins to feel for the very first time, and I think he feels at the end of that movie, where you see him in that scene you just heard. He's crying. He's almost crying there, Charlie Babbitt, at the end. And he puts his shades on. That's the part I didn't play. And you can't hear that anyway when someone puts on shades. But he puts on his eyewear. And you can, you can sense that he's crying behind his, his eyeglasses, his sunglasses. It's a really fine performance. And the way that I think Cruz opens his heart there and listens with his heart and his soul to the Dustin Hoffman character and the pauses. And of course, that comes with the filmmaker as well, Barry Levinson, the pauses and the beats, the edits. It's just perfectly, perfectly placed. And the way that Cruz just plays off of Dustin Hoffman's character and just loads that scene up with his own sense of empathy, sorrow, regret, sadness, and his pure feeling for the Dustin Hoffman character. And then that, for me, is a performance that's layered. I think in that particular scene, you can hear, you obviously see it a whole lot better on the screen, the layering of the way that Tom Cruise approaches that character in that final moment. And it's just like Tom Cruise in that role has become the father to Dustin Hoffman and to Dustin Hoffman's character in that final scene. Just the way he talks about have you got your things? Have you, you know, don't forget, you're only, only here with Dr. Bruner for a couple of weeks and you'll be able to visit me. It sounds like something that a parent would say to a child who he, has, he or she has joint custody of. You know, That's exactly how that sounds. And the Tom Cruise character becomes a parent 
really, by the end of this film, to his own brother. And that's something that happens in a lot of families. I just love the way that Tom Cruise as an actor plays that. He plays it so tenderly with a lot of care and a lot of feeling and a lot of investment. And he does it without being theatrical, without uh, using the waterworks. You didn't have to see the tears streaming down his face, but you could just sense everything and you can see it, how he is building this wealth of feeling and emotion for and affection for um, his brother, who now really, is a, he's like a child to the Charlie Babbitt character. So I think a very fine exhibition of acting there in Rain Man. I think that was Tom Cruise's finest performance on film. And he's still got lots, of course, of performances before he decides to say goodbye. But I think that, you know, goodbye to acting. But I think Tom Cruise is going to act until he's 80. You know, he's he's going to be 60 this year. But I think that Tom Cruise is the kind of, knowing of him, he's the kind of actor, I think, and the kind of person who would just act forever. <laughs> it's just like that. I'm going to come back with another film from Tom Cruise, and I'm going to showcase another aspect of his acting. And that's coming up right after this. You're listening to the Popcorn Reel podcast. I'm Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn, and I'll be right back. I mark it down. Oh, I write it up. And you have been warned. Because I have my lasers, I have my tasers, I have my ICBMs, I have my bazookas, I have my jets pointed right at you. Because me and my brothers, we like to celebrate. And on the 1st of May, we celebrate V-Day. And come June, oh baby, it is the lick of my spoon. That was a scene from the film Magnolia, released in 1999. Tom Cruise there as a misogynistic motivational speaker who has a company called Seduce and Destroy. He plays T.J. Mackey. Frank T.J. Mackey is the name of the character Cruise plays. And that's the more bombastic, theatrical Tom Cruise performance that I think works well for Magnolia, but there are subtleties in that as well. Continuing this episode on the brand new edition of the Popcorn Reel podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn, on Tom Cruise, the highly underrated actor. That's what I would say. And I've been playing clips from his films. This one, Magnolia, that you just heard from, and you heard Cruise there in that role. And I could only play you a few seconds of it because <laughs> this is a, <laughs> I have to tell you, he, he <laughs> there's a lot of um, cursing and all of that in Magnolia, particularly coming from Tom Cruise, although there are other characters who curse in Paul Thomas Anderson's three plus hour film, which he regards as a very personal film to him, does the director. And I could only play you really about 30 seconds of that particular portion of the scene from Magnolia. Tom Cruise, in that role, brings out this toxically masculine, misogynistic 
disregarding and degrading type of character that he is in the film. And of course, we will see and you will hear how that begins to get compromised for the better. But note how it happens. And I think that this next scene from Magnolia is a good example of how Cruz dials down his intensity and his bombast. And he does so because now he is being examined for the first time, perhaps, maybe even in his whole life. Actually, I'm, I'm confused about your past, mm. is the thing. Is that still lingering? Just to clarify. It's so boring, so... I uh, just want to clear useless. some things up. Mm. Um, yeah, excuse me. See, thank you, love. It's a funny thing that this is an important element of Seduce and Destroy. Facing the past is an important way of not making progress. This is something I tell my men over and over and over. This isn't meant... Um... I try to teach my students to ask, what is it a native? Are you asking me that? Yes. Well, and trying to figure out who you are We're and how... What? Well, Frank, I'm saying that in trying to figure out who you are... Um, See, I have more important be... things to well, put no, myself No, it's all important, into. Frank. I think this is something very important that you might need to think about putting yourself into. Um, not really. Frank, it, it's not like I'm trying to attack you here. No? I just... Okay, hey, hey, this is how you want to spend your time. Then go, go, go. But you're going to be surprised at what a waste it is. The most useless thing in the world is that which is behind me. Chapter three. We talked earlier about your mother. And we talked about your father and his death. And I don't want to be challenging, but I have to ask... Um, I, I just want to clarify something, something that I understand. I'm not sure I hear a question in here. Hey, I'm trying to put this uh, as delicately as I can. What's the question? Do you remember Miss Sims? I know a lot of women. I'm sure she remembers me. She does. From when <laughs> you were a boy. Yeah. She lived in Tarzana. It's my old stomping ground. Is this the attack portion of the interview? <laughs> is the girl coming in for the kill? No, this is about getting something right and clarifying one of your answers to an earlier question. What question? I was told that your mother died, Frank. That's what you heard. <laughs> Do you remember Miss Sims? This next scene from Magnolia is part of the same scene you just heard, just a little bit later on, where April Grace, the reporter, questions the Tom Cruise character, Frank T.J. Mackey. And the music you will hear, of course, is the score from the film by John Bryan. And that score overwhelms, I think, but in a good way, the feeling, actually the score, I should say, complements and exemplifies, I should say, the feeling of the Tom Cruise character as he is being questioned here by April Grace, the reporter in the film. She plays the reporter. Listen to this. It's a very short moment punctuated by what you hear at the end from the Tom Cruise character. What am I doing? What am I doing? Judging you. 
find quietly judging you. But the way that Cruz plays that, he is so angry in that scene, in that moment. He's so angry. And the camera, when you watch Magnolia and you watch that scene, the camera is close up on him. And he is absolutely raging. But he's raging behind a facade of ice and stone. And the ice is beginning to melt, but the stone remains. But you can see he is furious and angry because what's happened there is that he has been exposed and exposed plainly as someone in a very vulnerable position, which is the complete opposite of the seduce and destroy persona that he characterized in his bombast in the first scene that I played. Frank T.J. Mackey now has completely had his pants pulled down. And the way that Tom Cruise, the actor, responds to that is to just completely shut down and rage behind his eyes at the reporter played by April Grace. It's a really good scene in the film, Magnolia. And both actors play it very well indeed. I like the way that April Grace, again, tries to hold the hand of the Frank T.J. Mackey character, tries to hold Tom Cruise's hand there. And what Tom Cruise as an actor does is bite that hand off or just essentially shut down, which is exactly what he does there. And again, Cruise does that subtly and he does it through his eyes. He completely turns down the volume of his character and then focuses whatever bombast he had in the previous scenes one of the scenes, the scene I played you beginning um, in this portion of this podcast episode into just one lasered focus of contempt for the April Grace character. That's really good acting. And I, look, I'm not trying to oversell here Tom Cruise. I think his acting does not get the credit. I don't think he gets the credit for the kinds of performances he does. Now, some people will look at the Academy Award nominations. He's got three of those, at least, I think. Born on the 4th of July is a film. I'm not going to play that one on this episode, but that's one that Tom Cruise should have won for. There are other performances out there. Jerry Maguire, he was nominated for. He was also nominated for an Oscar for this particular performance as Frank T.J. Mackey, by the way. And, you know, this is the thing about... uh, about the Tom Cruise character. I think that, you know, I think that Tom Cruise plays these roles very well indeed. And I just don't think he gets the credit. Now, again, a lot of this might be due to what some people think of Tom Cruise outside of his acting. Some people may not be impressed with his acting. Uh, Other people may have, you know, a dislike of Cruise because I think he is quite despised. And look, it's not necessarily for nothing. Obviously, people react to Um, his views on Scientology, people react to, you know, the personal relationships, people react to all kinds of things. But when you actually meet Tom Cruise, and I've never met him, but when you meet him, and I know people who have met him, they say he's one of the most kindest, most courteous people um, that you can meet. And some of the interviews I've seen of him certainly suggest that, that he is a very kind and pleasant and courteous person. Now, of course, if you're interviewing him as a couple of people have done and have asked him questions that obviously he doesn't like or are questions that don't make a lot of sense, um, as the Australian reporter did at one time, and there was certainly the Matt Lauer, of all people, Matt Lauer um, situation when he was 
questioning Tom Cruise and, and of course, uh, Tom Cruise didn't take too kindly to that. So there's some of the outside things, but I'm focusing on Tom Cruise as an actor and what he brings to the films he does. He's had a an illustrious career that continues on to this very day. Don't forget, people forget films like The Outsider, you know, The Outsiders, with uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, where it was basically a rat pack of young actors who uh, were involved in that film. Ralph Marchio, Patrick Swayze, among others, I think Emilio Estevez was in The Outsiders, along with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is also in a film in the early 80s called All the Right Moves, I think he may have been in the film Dune, the first Dune. Uh, I'm sorry, it may, or not Dune, maybe Legend is the name of it, not Dune, Legend. He was in the film called Legend early in the 1980s. He was in a film called Risky Business. Well, we know that film. He was terrific in Risky Business as well. And I just don't think he gets the credit. I don't think he gets the kind of credit that I think his performances deserve and merit. And, you know... Um, I can name a number of films throughout the 1980s where he was terrific in. Um, I thought he was... In Cocktail, he was okay. That was in the 1980s. I think 1986. He was terrific in in The Color of Money. And he didn't even get nominated for that. Paul Newman did. And Paul Newman, to me, was not very good in The Color of Money. That was not his best performance. But he won for that. That was considered, you know, the makeup Oscar for all the fine work that he got passed over on in previous Academy Award years. But Tom Cruise was actually brilliant in The Color of Money. People forget that Tom Cruise's career started in the late 1970s on the big screen, and it has just gone on and continued. And I think he's evolved as an actor and a performer. And he now, because we know for years now, he's done his own stunts. And he just continues to get better, I think, as he, as he gets older. And I can't say that about too many people in the business. There's more coming up on this edition of the Popcorn Real Podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn, talking about Tom Cruise. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel Podcast. I'm your Prince of Popcorn, Omar Moore. It's so great to have you here listening to this new episode. And this one is about Tom Cruise. His performances on film are better than I think people, at least some people, give him credit for. And this next film is from 2004. It's Collateral, directed by Michael Mann. And Tom Cruise plays the bad guy in this one, the villain of the piece, as Vincent, the hitman for hire who commandeers Jamie Foxx's cab and doesn't ever let go as he performs a string of killings for his bosses. This is the scene I want to play you. and This is early on in the interaction between Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx on the big screen in Collateral, and Jamie Foxx plays the cab driver, Max. Seven minutes. Man, you're good. Uh, I got lucky with the lights. Yeah, sure. You probably know the light schedules, too. Listen, I'm in town in a real estate deal. Closing one night. I got five stops to make. Flex signatures, see some friends, and then I got a 6 a.m. out of LAX. Why don't you hang with me? Oh, the car's not for hire, man. This against regs. Regulations? Yeah. These guys don't pay you sick leave. How much you pull down a shift? Oh. How much? 350, 400. Yeah. Well, I 
tell you what, I'll make it 600. Plus an extra hundred, you get me to LAX, and I don't have to run for the plane. No, no, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you do. Man, I don't know, man. Yeah, you do. 600. Cool. We got a deal. Here's 300 down. What's your name? Max. Max. I'm Vincent. All right. I'll meet you in the alley behind the building. The next scene from Collateral is of the actors Irma P. Hall, Tom Cruise, and Jamie Foxx all in a hospital ward. And Max, played by Foxx, reluctantly introduces Tom Cruise, who plays Vincent, to his mother. Irma P. Hall is the actor who plays Jamie Foxx's mother. And just listen to the way that this scene unfolds and listen to the Tom Cruise character here as he plays on charm. Once again, as I said before, he plays on his charm that we all are familiar with. Listen to this. Well, Max? Mother, this is Vincent. Vincent, this is my mother, Ida. I'm very happy to meet you, Mrs. DeRocher. Oh, just call me Ida. Hey, Ida. I was with Max when he uh, when he got the call. And you came all the way over here to see me? It's nothing, ma'am. <laughs> Tell my son, you have to hold a gun to his head and make him do anything. You must be one of Max's important clients. Client, I, uh, you know, I like to think of myself as his friend. And there you go. That is an example of a psychopath. <laughs> Tom Cruise's character is a complete psychopath, obviously, in Collateral, as well as a serial killer for hire. And that moment there, Tom Cruise once again plays on charm, trades on what our idea of him is in the public persona, in the public spotlight, to then use that for his character, but then undertone it, underdial it, dial it down with a little bit of menace, and delusion, actually. There's, that's a very delusionary moment in Collateral. And I like the way that Tom Cruise orchestrates and architects it with the way he responds to Irma P. Hall, who is a terrific actor in her own right and someone who is a veteran uh, on the big screen. And how he is able to just, oh, um, well, hello, Mrs. DeRocher. Nice to meet you. You know, he's kind of got that graveliness in his voice a little bit, too, when he says it. But it is, again, it's an example of the wolf just delaying, uh, or in this case, a wolf delaying his, uh, his meal. Not, not in terms of any attack on the character uh, played by Irma P. Hall, but of his getting to the kill, which is, of course, getting on to the rest of the mission of killing off these people that he is contracted to kill during an eight-hour spree in Los Angeles at night. And... That moment is, well, uh, very nice to meet you, Mrs. DeRocher. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> he can barely contain his own zeal. Um, but he does it in a very underhanded way. And it's all about using charm, using that persona that we all know Tom Cruise has and turning it against us in that moment to further an aim 
to advance what his character's interests and desires are, and that is to finish this job. This is a pit stop for a moment. So there are these flickers of tenderness in this character, just like you observed and I mentioned in the clips for Magnolia and previous to that Rain Man. These flickers in this character who I think wants love, I think he's lonely. I think in all three of these movies that I've played clips from, the Cruz character is a lonely person. And maybe you can parallel that to the whole idea of it's lonely at the top. And Tom Cruise has been at the top in terms of box office for many years now. I think only only Samuel L. Jackson and Harrison Ford, I think, only those two actors are ahead of him, really, in terms of box office gross um, arguably, I think it may be Cruz in first or second place with Samuel L. Jackson right behind him, if not in number one. So between those three, along with Harrison Ford there and those three, those are the three top uh, grossing actors, I think, in Hollywood history. Their movies have made billions of dollars. And, you know, that what you get from being at the top of your game and being at the top of the pile, it's lonely up there. It's rarefied air when you're at the top. And I wonder if some of those aspects of being Tom Cruise in, in that kind of megastar movie role, that megastar uh, person of film, how he manifests some of those feelings into some of the characters that he's played along the way. Now, he wasn't, he was still, I guess, a megastar back in 1988. I would say that Tom Cruise was still um, a megastar back then in 1988 when he did Rain Man, or in 1987 when it was filmed, and 88 when it was released. But again, I, I think that along the way he uses some of that and turns it inside out. And in the moment that you saw or that you heard there in that clip from Collateral, the second clip that you just heard, uh, I think that he does some of that and does it quite well. But he is a psychopath in this film. He plays a psychopath named Vincent, as I said. And definitely there's this manifestation of this loneliness when he says, well, I like to think that Max is my friend or I'm a friend of his. And there's no possible universe in which Max would be a friend of Vincent's, whether in real life or movie life. But there are these flickers in that movie once again of a character who wants to be liked or at least be appreciated and... Again, it goes back to that primal thing about family and how uh, if you're not getting attention in a family, you have to do certain things. And I think this is part of that. What Cruz does in Collateral is he wants this attention and he wants to be liked. And there's in that scene I just played, if you watch that scene, he is doting on Miss DeRosha, the mother of the Max character played by Jimmy Fox the, of Max. And so... There is this this affinity, this wanting to be liked. This He has a, an affinity to want to be liked. He wants to be um, acknowledged. And I don't think that the Vincent character has ever been acknowledged in life. And I think this is the stage in which he gets the maximum acknowledgement. A, in the killings of the people that he kills. But B, in these moments like the one I just played you. I'll return in just a few moments with more on the Popcorn Reel podcast. Welcome back to the Popcorn Reel Podcast with me, Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. And continuing in this episode, talking about Tom Cruise 
and his acting, which I think is vastly underrated. I am going to go on with more from Collateral. This is the final clip I want to play from Collateral. Happens to be the closing moments of the film. So if you haven't seen Collateral from 2004, well, spoiler alert, you probably want to plug your ears at this point, but it's been since 2004 this movie is out. But some people have not seen Collateral. Some people may not want to see Collateral. And if you don't mind listening to this next portion, then be my guest. Please do, by all means. This scene is featuring Jamie Foxx. Jada Pinkett Smith is also involved, but you don't hear her in this moment. She, when you watch this, she'd be just watching here. They are in a train on the metro in Los Angeles. It's probably about three or four in the morning, maybe five in the morning now, in that particular scene in Los Angeles, in Collateral. And you will hear the voice of Jamie Foxx, who plays Max, the cab driver. And you will hear the voice of Tom Cruise, who plays Vincent, the serial killer hitman. And just listen to how this scene, it's a very brief one, this portion at least that I have put forth, is very brief. Listen to this from 2004, Collateral, Michael Mann's film featuring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx and Jada Pinkett Smith. You will hear from Fox and Cruz here. And in that scene, there's a mournful elegy that comes from the score from James Newton Howard. And it's this outro, if you will, for the Tom Cruise character. And the empathy is engendered through the score and in those final words that Vincent speaks when he says, a guy gets on the MTA here in Los Angeles, dies. Do you think anyone will notice? And that For those of you who have seen the film, you know well that the beginning of the film, near the beginning, this is the same story that Max is told by Vincent when Vincent gets into Max's cab for the first time. So at the end, he says the same thing as a bookend, but with some irony. You know, the symmetry becomes irony because, of course, the person who gets on the MTA in Los Angeles and dies is going to be Vincent. And it's as if Vincent in the opening scenes is foretelling his own demise with that tale um, that he tells to Jamie Foxx's character, Max. So that moment is, again, the, the way that Tom Cruise plays that. His voice it sounds the same as it did when he was being introduced to Ida, the Irma P. Hall character that she plays, the character that Irma P. Hall plays in the hospital scene that I played previously. It's the kind of a deeper, gravelier voice. And there's this undercurrent in this last scene I just played of some sorrow and regret and also a neediness from this psychopathic person who is saying, do you think, really, he's saying, do you think anyone will notice me? Will anybody notice who I am? Will anybody care? I mean, by the way, as I said earlier, he is in, he is really 
indistinguishable in this silvery gray suit that he dons for the entire film. And if you look back at Michael Mann's work, there's another film in which there's a character who plays, um, who is a, you know, is a, is a killer who, who wears the same wardrobe, exactly the same wardrobe of a white shirt and an all silvery gray, gray suit. And that's Robert De Niro in the film Heat back in 1995, where he wears that suit that's gray. He wears that gray, silver gray suit and he has got the white shirt. He is completely indistinguishable from anybody you'd see because a lot of people do wear gray suits. A lot of men wear gray suits. Women wear, a lot of women wear gray suits as well for their work. These days it might be different, but back in 1995 and certainly also, certainly in 1995 and then in, certainly in 2004, you would have noted this kind of thing and cruises dressed wardrobe-wise in collateral to look like this kind of silver fox, this kind of predator who is indistinguishable. And yet, what's so subtle about the scene that you just heard and what you will see when you actually watch the very same scene is that when Vincent dies, his head goes forward and, and just through the window behind him, and it may be processed green screen, or it may actually have just happened this way. There's a tree that happens to just be there. And it's as if the Vincent character has retired to the wilderness, where he has retired to die in the wilderness. Like, as I said, hence the silver fox going back to the wild, but going back deceased. And there's this tree behind him. So I find that to be uh, quite interesting and fascinating at the same time. But again, Tom Cruise playing that role um, without really breaking stride at all in that final sequence. And he tries to engender a sense of feeling after doing all this killing. And it's the same thing he did in Rain Man as I played you the final scene that I played you from Rain Man, where he's beginning to feel, this Cruise character is beginning to feel for the first time authentically in the entire film and the way that Tom Cruise does that, I think, is quite good. And the same here in Collateral. He's not all this steely stone and uh, murderous, murderous psychopath. This guy actually does somewhere have a heart buried deep within. And it only comes out at the very end where he's dying and he's going to die. So, again, I, I just think the way that Tom Cruise plays that is very subtle and deft. But it is there. And I think it's a tribute to him as an actor and I think he is very good at what he does and he's horribly underrated I'm going to play you one other clip and there's so many films where Tom Cruise has done good things in those films some of the films aren't that great some of the films are great some of the films are underrated like An Eyes Wide Shut which I really loved and I'm not going to play you a clip from that one uh, there's so many other movies I could play clips from Jerry Maguire as I think I may have mentioned earlier but this film, Mission Impossible Fallout, this transition that uh, Tom Cruise has done over the years, and he's always done Mission Impossible films, he's done them since 1996, but this transition uh, now in this stage of his career into more of an action man, stunt man, and he's, like I said, he's been doing this for a long time, where he does all his own stunts and still acts as well and does a good job acting. Here's a moment 
in the very high-wire Mission Impossible Fallout movie from 2018, where he's actually doing, at 25,000 feet, skydiving. And listen to how he performs, too. During that time, he is in the scene with Henry Cavill. It's a death-defying, hair-raising sequence. And I just want you to listen to this. This is an example of how Cruz goes all out and still has time to react and act to the actual things happening. This is not a trick. He's actually up at 25,000 feet, risking his own life in this skydiving sequence from that film. scene from Mission Impossible Fallout and it sounds unremarkable and I don't play the scene so that you can hear Tom Cruise saying Walker over and over and over again but what I play that scene for is Tom Cruise's ability now this is when he's 25,000 feet up he is at altitude 25,000 feet and he's actually skydiving in that scene now I'm sure there was some ADR automatic dialogue replacement coming in afterwards in post-production but what that scene gives you a glimpse of especially when you see it is the physicality and the daring of Tom Cruise who puts himself on the line literally I mean he could have died in that sequence now he has done his own stunts for a long time and did them I think since the very beginning of the Mission Impossible, Mission Impossibles. And in Mission Impossible 2, he's climbing up the side of a mountain. And he could have, and that was when John Woo directed that film back in, way back in 2000 when it was released. And anything could have gone wrong and he, he could have died. He could have been killed. So this is the other part of Tom Cruise, the actor, the performer, where he will just throw his body 
on the line. And literally, I mean, he could have been in serious trouble in that sequence. And it was rehearsed millions of times. And you saw, if you watched Fallout, that it was a death-defying sequence. And that shows you, I think, a lot of guts from Tom Cruise or or, or his uh, flirtation with death, shall we say. Um, you have to wonder if, if Tom Cruise has a death wish of sorts because he does these things that I think 99.9% of the rest of us would not even dare go near, near. Running down the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Oh my goodness me. That was in the earlier Mission Impossible film Ghost Protocol. I believe was the name of that. I can't imagine that people would do that. Now, look, he, he obviously had wires and there was obviously a, a, a net below him, but that's not the point. I mean, if anything goes wrong and he misses the mark, he, he's in real trouble. There's a moment also in Mission Impossible Fallout, by the way, where Tom Cruise jumps between buildings in London and in real life, he hurts himself. He sprains his ankle and the filming had to be shut down, I think, for almost two months. And in the sequence that you see in Fallout, he actually gets hurt but continues on. He actually keeps running with a broken ankle, with a, with a really severely sprained ankle, which is just unreal to me. But that's what he did. And they filmed that. They filmed the injury and filmed him continuing to run on it. And you actually see him temporarily it looks like he's limping ever so you know he's clearly hurt and he just keeps running I mean that is complete commitment I think that's the reason why I played that portion not the portion I just described but the portion you just heard of of uh, Mission Impossible Fallout because it represents this commitment to acting and a commitment to getting the film and the sequences right and that's really why I played that last portion that you just heard Tom Cruise, I think, a much more underrated actor. And I, I think he's much better than that. Much better than that. Now, look, there's lots of films. I think he was very good in Interview with the Vampire. That's a sequence I could have played. Uh, that's a film I could have played a few sequences from. I thought he was very good in that as Lestat. Remember, the author of Interview with the Vampire, Anne Rice, was vehemently against him playing that role at first. I mean, she came out publicly. I think in Variety magazine or a number of forums, a fora, and said very clearly, no, Tom Cruise is not the right person to be playing Lestat, the vampire. And once that movie came out, he was the right person to play that role. He did an excellent job. There are other movies like The Last Samurai, which I didn't care for, with Tom Cruise in that film. He did as decently as he could could be expected. And again, numbers of other movies where Tom Cruise has been playing in roles that the films they didn't like, but he still did a competent job. He played uh, Jack Reacher in the two films he did in that series uh, that, of course, were based on the books by Lee Child. And uh, Tom Cruise has been in small roles and large ones. He was in the ensemble, as I said, in Magnolia. He was also in the ensemble of Tropic Thunder, most famously and hilariously. And in a number of other films, look, he has been acting for quite some time now and continues to do so. And so in this year where he turns 60 years of age, I just wanted to look back at some of the roles that he's done so far and say to you that he actually is a pretty darn good actor. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, the Popcorn Reel podcast, 
and to the YouTube channel Popcorn Real. That's Popcorn R-E-E-L. And please follow me, your Prince of Popcorn, on Twitter at Popcorn Real. That's at, excuse me, at the Popcorn Real. At the Popcorn Real. The Popcorn Real. That's the Popcorn R-E-E-L. That's all for this edition of the Popcorn Real podcast. I'm Omar Moore, your Prince of Popcorn. And until next time, see you at the movies.